Christ's words were meant to comfort and encourage an ancient church suffering persecution. But they still resonate to give us hope and strength, no matter what we're struggling with. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah resumes his series, The Seven Churches of Revelation. With more on Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna, here's David with the conclusion of The Suffering Church. And I want to thank you for joining us today as we finish up the discussion of the letter that the Lord Jesus Christ wrote to a church called the Church of Smyrna. We've labeled it the Suffering Church, for it was a church that went through great times of persecution and suffering. Uh, During this month, we're making available to those who will send a gift to Turning Point a 463-page book that takes you into every one of the prophetic rooms uh, and helps you understand what the Bible is saying about the future. This book is vital for today. There's never been a day when it's been uh, more necessary and when it will be more helpful. All you have to do is request your copy when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Simply say, please send me the book off signs, and uh, it will be sent to you as soon as we get your request. We need your help. We always do. We can't do this alone. We want to add value to your life as you share your resources and help us get the Word of God out around the world. And now this is part two of the Suffering Church. Uh, The scripture is Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Let's open our Bibles and study together. If there's any one emotion that I think people have felt during these days we're experiencing right now, it's kind of a quiet fear. Where is this all going? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in our culture? What's going to happen in our economy? What's going to happen in our faith? And if we're not careful, we can allow our lives to be run by fear. And the Lord Jesus comes to us in the midst of our troubles and says to us, fear not, for I am with you. And someone has said, as you know, there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. I actually tried to count them, and I came up a few short. So if you know where those are, I'd appreciate you telling me. But there's a lot of fear knots in the Bible, especially in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of his great messages to us from his birth throughout his whole life is, if you have me, you don't have to be afraid, for I have overcome the world. If you're going through a lot of stuff, maybe you think I'm going to tell you to buck up and try harder and work harder. All I want to say to you is what Jesus said to the church in Smyrna. Don't be afraid. You don't have to fear what is happening, what may happen. Fear not. But notice, there's another word from the Lord Jesus that's even perhaps more important. He says in verse 10, be faithful until death. Now, there's some disagreement as to what this means. I mean, does this mean to be faithful until you're killed for your faithfulness? Or does it mean just to be faithful all through your life until you die a natural death? Really doesn't make any difference. The severity of the persecution at that time, I would be inclined to think that Jesus was saying, you may end up losing your life for your faith, but be faithful unto death. Because if you will notice a little bit later in this text, Jesus sees life from eternal perspective, and he wants us to learn how to do that as well. John Stott explains, we need to remember that faith and faithfulness are the same word in the Greek language. 
This is understandable because it is from faith that we get faithfulness. Trust in Christ and show ourselves to be trustworthy. Rely on Christ and we shall be reliable. Depend on Christ and we shall be dependable. Have faith in Christ and we shall be faithful. Faithful if necessary, even unto death. The way to lose fear is to gain faith. (laughs) Christ surrounds these two commands with the reassuring words that place the times of suffering in eternal perspective. And even though this is a short letter, there are five things I want to tell you that we need to know about this letter that will help us not be afraid but to live in faith. The opposite of fear is not courage for the believer. The opposite of fear for the believer is faith. Faith in God, faith in what God has said, faith in who God is, faith in what he has promised us. Now notice, these five things come right out of the text, so let me just give them to you quickly. First of all, the Lord wanted the believers in Smyrna to know that the reputation of Christ was better than the reputation of Rome. He says in verse 8, These things say the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now, remember, the description of Christ was chosen by the Lord from the vision of chapter 1. It was meant to disarm fear. In fact, in Revelation 1.17, we read, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. Smyrna was a perfect church to be addressed like this. In her suffering and persecution, she needed to be encouraged by the one whose name transcended all the limitations of space and time. Christ was the first in the dawn of creation, and he will be the last at the end of creation. This claim to eternity is based on the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and the eyes of the church was to suffer were fixed on the fact that Jesus Christ was still alive after they had done everything they could to him. He was still the first and the last. What Jesus is saying is this, through all of the trial you have ever had, I am the beginning of it and I shall be the end of it. And there shall be with you through all of this the one whose name is the first and the last. The citizens of Smyrna who fought against the believers and slandered them with false accusations and scorn stood in proud opposition to these simple, humble believers. After all, their city was the first of all Asia and their culture was the last word. Were they not the city that had died and come alive again? (laughs) How proud were they, citizens of Smyrna, and the more to be despised were these peasant believers. But the Christians were to be courageous and faithful because they were citizens of another country whose king was the eternal God. He had been dead and he was alive. He was their resurrected savior and they should take heart because he was the real first and the real last. And so should we take heart today. It is awful hard when you live in the midst of the struggles and challenges of life to remember that 
this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. (laughs) That this isn't everything there is or will be. That this is a moment in the scheme of God's plan. And he is the first. And he is the last. The reputation of Christ was better than the reputation of Rome. Number two, the recognition of Christ was better than the recognition of Rome. Notice what Jesus says to them in verse 9. I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. First of all, as we look at verse 2, let me point out that in many manuscripts, the word thy works are not found here in verse 9. What Jesus actually said was this, I know your tribulation and I know your persecution. And his knowledge was not just that he was aware of it. He was not just aware of their problems. He uses a word for know that goes much deeper than that. It is the word oida, and it means to know by experience. What Jesus was saying to the church was this, whatever you're experiencing, I know it. I don't know just about it. I have experienced it myself. The Lord recognized their suffering and their trial, and he'd already been there before them. They were to take charge and remain faithful because the one they served understood what they were experiencing. What words of encouragement these were. What a tower of strength to a suffering church or a suffering Christian. We hear the Lord Jesus saying to us, I know, I know. Here is the mighty God and the suffering Savior saying to us in our struggles, my child, I know. No, I don't just know about it. I know it in my own soul. The one who for three years lived under the sentence of death says, I know your pressure. The one who had no place to lay his head and was poorer than the foxes and the birds had himself said, I know your poverty. The one who was slandered and lied about and falsely accused and whipped and brutally beaten and hung upon a Roman cross, we hear him saying, I know your persecution. And we've learned this from the book of Hebrews, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You can almost hear the Lord as you pray to him and say, Lord, do you know what I'm going through? And you hear the Lord say, my child, I know. I don't know just about it. I've already been there. I've experienced it. One writer has said that Jesus took cognizance of every sorrow. His heart felt every pang. He counted every tear. The weight of oppression was fully known to him, and the wealth of his divine sympathy went out to his people. And still today, not a trial passes unnoticed, nor a difficulty unobserved. Our great shepherd knows every bruise sustained by his sheep and every suffering experienced by them. And because he too has passed through that suffering, he sympathizes with his own. One of our greatest needs in trouble is someone with whom to share it. We long to unburden ourselves to someone who understands 
And now we hear Jesus Christ, the world's greatest confidant, saying to the suffering church, you can count on it. I know what you are experiencing. And there is no friend who can bring to us the peace and the relief that our Lord can bring. These believers were not recognized by anybody in the city of Smyrna. They were the outcasts of their culture. They were looked down upon and despised, hated, hunted, and berated. But they were known by Christ. His knowledge of them should fortify their courage and strengthen their resolve to be faithful. The reputation of Christ was better than the reputation of Rome. And the recognition of Christ was better than the recognition of Rome. But keep reading. The riches of Christ were better than the riches of Rome. Verse 9, but you are rich. These words were meant to strengthen the church. They were very poor, yet they were very rich. The Lord's values were very different from those of the Jews and the paganizers. Jesus commands us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And Paul says that true ministers of God would be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor and yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Is that not true? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And the Lord Jesus speaks to this suffering church and reminds them that though they may have no money, they don't know where the next meal is coming from. When it comes to their relationship with the Lord Jesus, they have a richness that the world cannot possibly comprehend. Perhaps these words are a good reminder and a good warning. Outward adversity of a church or a people or a person is not a proof of the central poverty or weakness. It is not always the wealthy church financially that is the rich church. The material wealth of members does not create the true riches of the church. How often it has been that some struggling company of believers fighting with poverty, contending for very existence, has been the truly rich and prosperous church. The Christians of Smyrna were to take heart and be faithful. Spiritual inventory was to offset the empty coffers of the church and encourage each of them in his struggle with personal poverty. Though they were poor, the Lord Jesus wanted them to know that they were really rich. We evaluate wealth on the basis of the way the world sees it. And God evaluates it from his perspective. And he sees it far differently than we do. Some of the most miserable people I've ever known in my life are people that have a lot of money. And some of the most precious people I've ever known in my life are people who are very simple and poor and have really nothing in their life except the knowledge that they are a child of God, loved by Him, and all of the really important things about life are already cared for. And they would say to you, I am rich. <laughs> Number four, the reckoning of time by Christ was better than the reckoning of time by Rome. Revelation 2.10 
you will have tribulation 10 days. Do you see that? That doesn't seem to make sense when you read that in the text. This phrase has caused many over the years to wonder what is meant by the 10 days. Some think it means the 10 years of persecution that was coming to the church at Smyrna, perhaps being climaxed by the death of its pastor, Polycarp. Some think it refers to the period of Roman persecution in the second and third centuries. If you study that period of history, they have enumerated 10 waves of persecution that took place under 10 Roman emperors, the last of whom was Diocletian. There were 10 years of persecution under Diocletian, and some think the 10 days refers to that time. Maybe all of these are true. But I think I see what the Lord is trying to say to this church. The intent of his words is to prepare the church for the suffering that would be very brief in contrast to eternity. Jesus is saying to them, this is going to seem like a long time, but in comparison to eternity, it's just 10 days. I remember the words of 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The 10 days may seem like long and endless in the midst of pain and suspense, but it was a period that marked the shortness of the time of tribulation when it was looked at from the divine standpoint. God remains in control. He had set a limit to the ordeal. It was only for a restricted period, and the knowledge of its duration was an added reason for there to be steadfast and patient. You may think, Pastor, this that I'm working on right now, that I'm going through right now, it's never going to end. But I say to you, it is going to end. And God has every day numbered. He will not allow you to go through more than he will help you experience. And in the midst of it all, he is showing you the importance of eternity in comparison to the temporal issues we face in this life. To the believer in Smyrna, the clock was moving slowly. How many of you know trouble seems to slow time down? But God lives and moves in a different time zone, and fearlessness and faithfulness are enhanced when we understand this truth. It's but for a moment. It's just for a little while. And the Lord has great plans for his people. Finally, the rewards of Christ were better than the rewards of Rome. Revelation 2, 10 and 11, I will give you the crown of life, and he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The athletic games of the Roman Empire were a cause for much pride among its citizens. Part of the pride of Rome was attached to the great pageants and their games. The crowns won by the Roman citizens were flaunted in the faces of believers. But Christ reminded these suffering saints that they were in a different race. They would win a different crown. Their crown would be the crown of life, specifically reserved for those who were faithful unto death. You say, where is that found? James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures testing for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those crowns, according to Revelation 4.10, when we receive them, 
are not for ourselves so that we may flaunt them throughout eternity. The Bible says in Revelation 4.10 that when we receive these crowns at the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to cast them at the feet of the Savior. This prize would be a great motivation to courage and faithfulness in times of trial. The crown is the positive reward. But notice the 11th verse of the second chapter. There's kind of a negative reward, if you will. Revelation 2.11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The original language here is very strong. It says literally, he shall in no wise, on no account, be hurt of the second death. The first death is a shadow of the second death, and it is the first death that seems so dreadful to us. So will the second death. Christ reminded the believers of a tremendous fact The world lives to die, but the believer dies to live. The Christian church in Smyrna had nothing to fear from martyrdom. No matter how cruel the torture, the Romans could never separate them from God. Separation from God is the second death, and the separation of the soul from the body is the first death. If Christ tarries in his coming, all who are alive will experience the first death, but those who have put their trust in Christ will never, ever, ever experience the second death. The simple truth is wrapped up in this little slogan, if you were born once, you will die twice, but if you've been born twice, you only have to die once. Thank God for many of us here who have been born again. We have been born twice. We may have to go through physical death, But on the promise of the word of God, we shall never, ever experience spiritual death, the second death. You say, well, what does that have to do with these believers? These believers realize that many of them would give their lives for their faith. And the Lord Jesus reminded them that's nothing to fear. In fact, Luke chapter 12 says it this way. Do not be afraid of those who will kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And Jesus said to the believers in Smyrna, you don't have to fear him. You don't have to fear the second death. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, they may take your life through some of those terrible persecutions I mentioned earlier but they can't take from you the one thing that matters ultimately, and that's your eternal relationship with Almighty God. Some of you are in the fellowship of suffering with him now, not unto death, at least not that we know of. You may think it's unto death. It usually feels like it's unto death. But I want to encourage you with these two words we have heard from our Lord. Be fearless and be faithful. And remember, God has it all in control. Amen. 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 Someone out there is listening to this program and you're going through a time of suffering. Here is a letter from the Lord Jesus written to an ancient church and yet written to your heart as well. Be fearless and be faithful. God is with you. 
Well, friends, we've had a great week studying these truths. We're going to take a break for the weekend. Uh, During uh, this weekend, you'll be able to find us on television in your community. Uh, We'll be teaching from the Word of God. You can enjoy, uh, if you have the full-length program, you'll enjoy the music and the worship and the teaching of God's truth. Uh, We also have a weekend radio program that's carried on many of the stations, uh, perhaps the one you're listening to right now. And then we'll be back on Monday. Uh, Friends, we want to encourage you to get to church this weekend. I've been harping on that a little bit because some of our brothers and sisters who kind of dropped out of church because of COVID are uh, alive and well and doing fine and don't even have a lot of, uh, of the disease in their community, but they're just sort of lagging getting back to church and you need to get to church. And that's the instruction of the Word of God, not to forsake yourselves from the assembling together with other believers. And we're going to do that, and we'll see you on Monday with the next edition of Turning Point. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, Please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the seven churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and 7 Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. King Solomon, beside being a writer, studied nature and drew lessons from it. 
One of those lessons is in Proverbs chapter 6, where he chastises sluggards or lazy persons. He said people should be like ants who are always hard at work. Ants store up food when it is available so they can eat when food is scarce. I've never seen ants loitering around on an anthill in my yard, just passing the time. They also seem to have a purpose and a mission. In other words, they aren't lazy and they don't procrastinate. And Solomon says, there's a lesson there for us. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's purpose for your life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.